This is AgriPulse Daybreak for Monday, August 24th. Good morning. I'm Jeff Downey. Here's today's headlines. Eligibility rules may challenge big farms. Trump promoting food boxes. And House Ag Chair confronts Purdue on CFAP. USDA tightening farm eligibility rules. U.S. Department of Agriculture moving to make it tougher for most members of some large family farm operations to get federal subsidies. USDA is publishing a rule in the Federal Register today that will require people trying to qualify for payments as active managers of a farm to provide either 25% of its management or 500 hours of time. The requirement already applied to members of partnerships. Paul Neifer, an agriculture accounting specialist for Clifton Larson Allen, tells AgriPulse the requirement will mostly affect large family farming operations, a relatively small segment of the farm population. Still, the change is a victory for Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa and Representative Jeff Fortenberry of Nebraska, who have been pushing for years to tighten the rules. Trump promoting food boxes today. President Trump will be in North Carolina today to call attention to the USDA Farmers to Families Food Box Program, a project in which his daughter Ivanka Trump has been personally involved. Flavor First Growers and Packers in Mills River, North Carolina, which Trump will visit, is working with Baptists on Mission on the Food Box Program of the state. Baptists on Mission was awarded contracts totaling more than $5 million as a part of the $3 billion food box program, which has delivered nearly 70 million boxes since it began in May, but not without controversy. The food box program recently came under fire for a letter included in boxes from Trump, which says he prioritized sending nutritious food from our farmers to the families in need throughout America. The letter includes COVID-19 safety tips, including a suggestion to consider wearing a face covering when in public. Congressional Democrats have blasted the inclusion of the letter, calling it a violation of the Hatch Act, which restricts political activity by federal employees. The White House responded with statements from White House advisor Ivanka Trump, Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue, and National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease Director Anthony Fossey supporting its inclusion. RNC kicks off tonight with roll call of the states. The Republican National Convention begins tonight, and it will be something of a blended in-person and virtual event. The roll call of states takes place this evening. President Trump will deliver his acceptance speech Thursday night from the South Lawn to the White House. Take note, the convention will lack the traditional industry luncheon for agriculture leaders and delegates, which may still be held this fall. The Democratic National Convention had a virtual event last week sponsored by leading agribusiness companies and featuring leaders of various companies and organizations, as well as Democratic policymakers. Biofuel talk unlikely at RNC. A biodiesel advocate says it's not likely President Trump will say much of anything about biofuels during the convention. It would be nice, but I'm not holding out any hope. National Biodiesel Board Vice President of Federal Affairs Kurt Kavarik told AgriPulse. 
Kavarik is hopeful that Trump will follow up on his promise to Iowa officials to personally intervene with EPA Administrator Andrew Wheeler on pending refinery requests for waivers from the renewable fuel standard. Peterson demands CFAP clarification. House Agriculture Committee Chairman Colin Peterson is calling on Ag Secretary Sonny Perdue to provide more details about how the department determined the eligibility of crops and livestock for the coronavirus food assistance program. In a letter to Purdue, Peterson says producers of some commodities were denied payments because of requirements that were inconsistent and unjustified. For example, USDA allowed the use of subnational data to justify a qualifying loss when it came to apples, but not when it came to other commodities, including turkeys, alfalfa, nursery crops, and cut flowers, Peterson says. Without consistent public clarity on what data USDA deems sufficient for use or how USDA is analyzing this data, the program is at risk of public distrust and other commodities seeking future program eligibility are placed at a disadvantage, Peterson wrote. Farm groups lose challenge to testing rule. A federal judge has upheld an emergency order in Michigan requiring COVID-19 testing of migrant farm workers in the state starting today. Late Friday, U.S. District Judge Paul Maloney ruled the order did not discriminate against Latinos, even though they constitute the vast majority of those affected. In a lawsuit backed by more than 100 Michigan farm groups, Six farm workers and two farming operations in the state allege the order was discriminatory. But the judge, citing a brief filed by a University of Michigan law professor, said the plaintiffs could not show there was no rational basis for the order. Senators want Mexican restriction on U.S. potatoes lifted. Mexico's unique restrictions on U.S. potatoes, they can't be shipped more than about 16 miles over the border, has got to be removed. Three Republican U.S. senators from potato-growing states told USDA Secretary Sonny Perdue in a letter. Mexican potato farmers insist there are phytosanitary reasons that fresh U.S. potatoes can't be delivered too deeply into the country. But U.S. producers say their spuds present no risk. The issue remains tied up in Mexico's legal system. This limitation greatly reduces opportunities for U.S. potato producers and further limits options for Mexican consumers, said Idaho Senators Mike Crapo and John Risch and Colorado Senator Cory Gardner. We encourage you to consider the use of all available mechanisms, including the new Dispute Resolution Authority under USMCA, to ensure Mexico honors its agreement to allow U.S. potatoes to reach Mexican consumers. U.S. cherry exports to Japan benefit from tariff reduction. U.S. cherry farmers are already benefiting from the initial tariff reductions included and the U.S.-Japan trade agreement that, according to a new analysis, released Friday by the USDA's Foreign Agriculture Service. The gains are small so far, but Japan's tariffs are scheduled to keep falling in the years to come. Japan dropped its tariffs on sweet cherries from 8.5% to just 2.5% 
from January through April, and they will eventually be eliminated completely by 2023. Japan is expected to import 4,200 metric tons of sweet cherries in the 2021 marketing year, up from 4,152 tons in 2019-20. Here's today's He Said It. They're not country bumpkins and being led to believe that, don't worry, E15 took care of all of your problems. The fact of the matter is, a soybean and a corn farmer understand very well the impact of what undermining the RFS does to their bottom line and to their markets. That National Biodiesel Board's Kurt Kavarik on the importance of the Trump administration's denying small refinery exemptions to the RFS. Well, that's Daybreak for this Monday, August 24th. Brought to you by Watkinson Miller and Dairy Management Incorporated. For the latest news out of Washington, D.C., visit AgriPulse.com. For AgriPulse Daybreak, I'm Jeff Nally.